Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 492 of the podcast. It's November 22nd, 2023. Our guest today is Nick Katko. You'll learn more about Nick in a minute. We're going to be talking about lean accounting, his new book, uh, the second edition of The Lean CFO. I'd encourage you, uh, please, you know, keep listening if you're not an accountant or especially if you're not, you know, if you're like me, if you're not particularly finance minded. I think it's really important and there's a, a lot to learn from Nick here about connecting lean to the financial numbers that executives are looking at, not just the CFO. So to learn more about Nick and his work and, and his books and more, look for links in the show notes or go to leanblog.org slash 492. Well, hi, welcome back to Lean Blog Interviews. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Nick Katko. He was previously here as a guest in episode 428 back in 2021 with uh, his co-author, Mike DeLuca, talking about their book, Practicing Lean Accounting. So I encourage you to go find that episode, uh, episode 428. But today, Nick is here to discuss his book, um, the second edition of it, The Lean CFO, Architect of the Lean, Account- the Lean Management Accounting System. It was released back in February of uh, this year, 2023. Uh, I also want to thank Nick, and I'll point people to it. He did a webinar back in January um, around some of these topics of um, continuous improvement and the bottom line. Uh, it was part of the Kinexus Continuous Improvement webinar series. It was excellent. There's uh, a link to that in the show notes. But for over 20 years, Nick has worked uh, at BMA, uh, assisting clients in lean management implementation, working closely with them. To resolve the real world issues they face. Um, Nick holds a BS in accounting and an MBA in finance, both from the University of Kentucky. He's a certified public accountant. Uh, so Nick, thank you for coming back on the podcast. How are you? Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Glad to be here. Down in Lexington, Kentucky. It's uh, that's sort of Toyota com- uh, country. That's pretty close to Georgetown and the plant there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's been there's been a lot of lean activity here since uh, Toyota moved in. Yeah, you've probably gotten to know a number of the the Toyota folks, or at this point, maybe even former Toyota. Oh yeah, there's lots of former Toyotas. <laughs> lots of lots of lean consultants in this town. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so let's let's you know talk about the the book, Nick, um, yeah. finance and accounting. And boy, I have an MBA, but I always say like it, I I am the worst finance or accounting MBA graduate. That just, that wasn't my thing. I was able to do, you know, courses in operations and supply chain. So it'd be a good, good opportunity um, to, to learn uh, from you today, Nick. Um, so talking about the role of a CFO, of a chief financial officer, what, what makes them, you know, to the title of your book, what would make them a quote unquote lean CFO? And, and are, you know, are there degrees of leanness in that position? It's probably not just yes, no. Yeah, I I think one aspect of being a lean CFO is having an awareness of lean as a business strategy, as, you know, a way to operate, not necessarily becoming a lean expert, but the awareness of what it is, as opposed to uh, well, that's something manufacturing does, you know. 
and and then from there, you know, after you develop that awareness, how can you support the transformation? That's really what it's about. And I mean, if you're the CFO or in a smaller company, you might be the controller, you're the senior financial person, you need to know what's going on in the company and not be oblivious to things. And I think the other part is connecting lean to financial success. What can this do for us? And uh, that's where the, the numbers really come into play. You know, what numbers are you looking at? What numbers are you using? Mm. So, you know, to, to that point, and you covered a lot of this in, in the webinar, um, which, again, I'll, you know, I'll point people to. Some of it will probably come out again in the, in the discussion here. Um, when you talk about the measures, you know, any, any company has a lot of measures, financial measures, of course, whether they're doing anything with lean or not. but for a lean CFO or, or people under that CFO, like are there are there things that are the you know, things we're measuring that are misleading? Things that we should start measuring that we hadn't had visibility to. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys is to understand what you just said. If you boil lean thinking down to its simplest terms. You know, you want to serve customers better. How are you going to measure that? You know, in general, on-time delivery, lead times, quality. If you want to, the other piece is like, if you look internally, you want to improve your productivity. How are you going to measure that? And then you have things like, you know, uh, respect for people, safety, morale, things like that. So it's, it's taking a, a good look at per, what, you know, some companies call them KPIs. Some companies call them uh, metrics. You know, it really doesn't matter what you call it, but how many of your current measures are true lean performance measurements? Then you have to do what you mentioned is you have to take the, the look at what are we measuring that maybe we need to stop measuring because it's going to give us the wrong information. There's, there's plenty of uh, traditional type measurements that can tell you lean's not working, <laughs> especially if they're cost-based, you know, and, and this idea that everything drives cost reduction. Now, lean will reduce costs over time, but it's how. And and so it's it's sort of like that, you know, trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole. You know, the round hole are our existing measures. The square peg is lean thinking and you know we're gonna force it in 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 a way and it's it usually doesn't work creates a lot of conflict between accounting, finance, and operations. Mm-hmm. One, one of those traps is around inventory, it seems, right? Because inventory on the balance sheet, okay, I've picked up a little bit yeah. in my MBA and accounting classes, but you know, the balance sheet, inventory 
is, is part of um, assets. And as we go and improve processes and improve flow and reduce work and process inventory, maybe we're actually able to reduce finished goods inventory without having a negative impact um, on, on the customer. Walk us through like that, that, that conflict, that pickle of like, oh, we've reduced inventory, we've reduced assets. How, how <laughs> yeah. does that kind of trip things up maybe even in, in the short term? Well, it's a lot of that has to do with uh, if you have a, a line of credit at a bank and you know it's secured by your current assets. And I guess what if you reduce inventories, but it, you know you're you're not just writing inventories off. What you're doing is you're going to sell that inventory and turn it into cash. So on the balance sheet, it just moves from one current asset to the other current asset. But it is. It, it's the getting there that's the hard part. You start with uh, high finished goods inventory, and you know lean is going to basically say, you know, we're not going to produce unless we have to. This gets into the, the the standard costing world of absorption accounting, which means, you know, if we don't produce as much, then our absorption goes down and that has a, a, a an apparent negative impact on profitability. And that starts freaking people out basically. And, um, but it's easy to predict. You, you can model that. You can say, here's what's going to happen over time. Um, what I always tell people that think like that is I said, you know, when you were building inventory and absorbing all that overhead, nobody complained. <laughs> and now you're just correct. You know, it's just you're correcting it. But once you reach that equilibrium, then everything gets back to normal. So it's it's being aware of that. And and, you know. It, it, as the as a CFO or <clears throat> controller, making sure that the people who may not understand that, you're basically coaching them and educating them on here's what's going to happen. Hmm. And are those people, um, let's say, you know, uh, let's say if it's a public company, educating Wall Street, educating oh. owners, <laughs> if it's a private equity owned company. I would you say be gentle about saying, I'm sure you don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, oh gosh. You know, it, those, you know, those, those earning calls and, and such that the public companies do. I, I think there's probably a way to say it without actually, you know, we're going to reduce inventories over time. Um, and I think it's it's probably a lot of wordsmithing that's needed, but it's it's important for the senior leaders of the company to understand that. And, and again, if you're but if you're talking about a large public company, uh, that's 
that's a, a, a big term that, you know, turning a ship that's going to take time in terms of reducing inventory, as opposed to a smaller company that is, you know, maybe just has one owner. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and back to this idea of, let's say, pre-lean, uh, boy, we're, we're running the machines just because you're supposed to run the machines. You're, you're, you're cranking out parts or, or product, um, you know, back in that old mass production mindset. But then, like you said, there's this, um, I'm remembering a little bit of my overhead allocation. <laughs> and we talk about yeah. you know, absorption accounting. If I, if I made a thousand parts, and let's say that was customer demand, and I'm, I'm allocating uh, this overhead, you know, it's kind of fixed overhead across a thousand parts. If I can make 2000 parts, the allocated cost per part is now half. Yeah of what it was, which that seems good, but that that's, is that, I mean, it seems like that's partly the difference between, tell me if I have this right, like internal management accounting versus the financial accounting of what actually yeah. gets reported on different financial statements or financial reports. So that, that internal management accounting, does that rarely get reported or doesn't have to be? Well, here, here's the, a, 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 what a standard costing system does is it values inventory for financial reporting purposes. Okay. And it, you know, in the manufacturing process, you start with raw materials and you end up with finished goods. And when you, when you report completed production, it takes the, the cost of the raw material and then the labor and overhead, and it costs the product as finished goods. And that is what the absorption is. Okay. Now, you know, then when you sell that product, it goes all goes into cost of goods sold. So it's, you know, it's an automated system that values inventory. It does it do a good job? Yes. You know, but it's the level of detail of, you know, what are the overhead rates? What are the labor rates? And so, you know, if you, every time you produce a product and put it in finished goods, you absorb labor and overhead, which means you reduce your expenses and increase your profits. And if you're producing more than you're selling, it's fine. You know, it, it, and that's how the profits get reported. But then if it flips, it's the opposite. And so it's, you know, there, there's the financial reporting piece. And then there's the internal piece. And the internal piece is measuring performance in operations on things like overhead absorption and variances, which is terrible because it leads to what you just said. You know, oh, the more I produce, the better I'm going to look. And, and, and that could be sub-optimizing within a company. If you've got yeah. production manager, plant manager, some part of the company being measured on things like that, maybe not aligned with what the company needs as a whole. Right? Yes. And it, it, this is especially true. And I experienced this many years ago at, at month end where, 
oh, we're not getting the sales we need. And we don't think we're going to hit our, our profit goal for the month. So let's just, let's, you know, we got some, you know, end of October, we got some orders for November. Let's produce them now in October, absorb that overhead. We'll increase the profits. We're not going to, we can't increase sales. And then, you know, when it's time to ship the orders in November, we'll ship them. And it's a game. And and you can you can make profits look better by just producing, and then the next month, you know, you just sell it. And is that part of the dynamic of uh, accrual accounting versus cash accounting, or is it is it, it, it that is it not even a matter? No, of- that's not that's not about accrual accounting. This is just the way that. A, a costing system values finished goods. It has to attach labor and overhead costs to that finished goods. And, and it does it through this, this very complicated system that most people don't, many people don't understand. That's the key. Yeah, I don't pretend to understand. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, if not just ridiculous that, you know, you, you, you crank out more production. You can't recognize the revenue yet because you haven't sold it. You haven't shipped it. And that makes profit seem higher. Well, th- th- doesn't that then catch up with you in the next month, unless you continue yes. the game of pulling yes. ahead? Yeah. Then, then, because you, you lose the, you know, using October and November, I take November orders, I produce them in October. Now, unless I get more orders in November, it can be the opposite, where I'm selling more than I'm producing. And that's, you know, and then over two months, it sort of evens out. But it's, um, but, and, but then that spurs people, well, let's just produce some more in November to hit, you know. So it's, it's a, it's like I said, you know, I, I experienced this in my early career as a CFO and it really caused a whole lot of problems, you know, financially and really even within like the management team. And at one level I was bound and determined to, how do we end this? <laughs> it's 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 a, it's all if there is not one value added conversation around that. <laughs> yeah. It's all waste. And and so that strategy of you know robbing Peter to pay Paul, if someone comes in now as a lean CEO or lean executives, or we're we're, we're going down this lean transformation, and they say, okay, we're we're we got to put a stop to that. We're gonna put a stop to the the, the, the pull ahead and all the extra effort involved in not letting things kind of occur yeah. organically or naturally, does that cause a problem or is there a way of managing that to kind of bring it in for a soft landing, if you will? Do you need to kind of ease your way out of it to not cause a problem in the financial statements? Well, it the, the short answer is if you can sell more, you know, if you want to sort of reduce inventories over time, 
you know, if you can keep selling more rather and, 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 and then that sort of helps mitigate the financial impact as opposed to just, we're going to sell out of finished. I'm, I'm being very extreme here. We're going to sell finished goods, but not produce, you know, it, it's really about the rising sales. Cause again, that's something I experienced where we were at like uh, four inventory turns and within the space of about three years, we got up to like 24 inventory turns and finished goods was basically what was on the dock going out the next day. But we were, our sales grew because we were serving customers better. We had shorter lead times, higher on-time delivery. And so that reduction in inventory didn't really impact the financial statements. And I think that's the real key, you know, if you, if you begin, if you come commit to a lean transformation, you know, reducing inventories is more of an outcome of better management. You ultimately are trying to create more value for your customers and serve them better. So you got to focus on the top line. You know, if you come in just looking at lean as, well, we're going to reduce inventories. Well, you know, it, it could lead to bad habits. Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen companies fall into the trap. This is going back to the early 2000s. Uh, they thought lean was um, get rid of your inventory. Yeah. And they didn't have the processes to support it. So it was kind of a form of, let's say, you know, cost cutting as a primary lever instead of, as you talk about, and I think, you know, this is good lean thinking, cost reduction being an outcome and end result yeah. of these other things. And they, they slashed their inventory and then they were having trouble meeting commitments to customers. Yes. Because the, the, the whole flow didn't support that. And, and there was, um, you know, a, a Japanese lean consultant that was on site with me um, in, in conjunction of something else I was doing um, through a software company back at the time. And he was pretty blunt. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget this. I can kind of picture it was a large capital equipment uh, manufacturer. And that consultant told them very directly, job one is to meet customer demand. Job two is low inventory. Yeah. And they had, you know, kind of, they had violated that and they were trying to recover from that mistake, if you will. Yeah. I, um, and it's not, you know, when people say reduce inventory or lean reduces inventory, it's not necessarily the value on the balance sheet. It's really the, the flow of materials. It's, it's about, it's about inventory turns or inventory days. That's the measurement. You want, you know, you want fewer days of inventory, but if your sales are growing, that value might have to go up, but it's okay if it's going up and your days are higher or lower. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. Relative uh, to sales. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I even had a discussion with um, a person in a company who was in charge of operations, but really didn't have experience and, and. I was trying to explain their inventory issues to them. And, um, you know, they, that person was interpreting what I was saying is just 
get rid of it. And I was saying, no, measure the days. So it's, again, it's something that a, a CFO can explain to people. Okay. What does this mean in terms of inventory reduction? Right. And looking at that kind of in context Yes, of other measures, and um, and one thing I hear you saying loud and clear is um, it's better if if lean's part of a growth strategy as opposed to being in a shrinking, declining business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the impact in those financial statements or the ability to um, not 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 have some of these measures and outcomes uh, look so bad because we're yeah. growing, growing and- out. And and a real key, in uh, especially in a manufacturing company, is to get get the new numbers in place in terms of performance measures and you know other and and how you look at the financials internally. Get that information in place and incorporated into analysis and decision making then deal with the costing issues Uh, because people need to see it. it, You have to demonstrate how the the numbers of lean accounting are superior than what you're using today. Mm -hmm. And one other thing that comes to mind, we talk about the value of inventory in dollars terms, like when I was working for Dell computer, gosh, almost 25 years ago, late nineties, one of the challenges there. And I think part of why Dell designed its supply chain and operations the way they did, you know, with this build to order um, strategy was the, the rapidly declining value of parts mm-hmm. um, just because of just the rapid change. As new processors come out as newer, bigger, faster hard drives coming out. Um, is If you're in a situation where the inventory you're holding is really declining <laughs> in real market value, um, does anybody, like, I can't imagine people go and mark to market, if you will, or actually restate, okay, we, we had uh, $10 million worth of parts and now they're really only worth two in terms of what they can contribute to revenue. What What, what are some of the, things to, to, to look out for in a situation like that? Well, from the, you know, financial viewpoint, um, that's where, again, I'm going to get into a, a financial accounting, but that's where you have a reserve for obsolescence. You, you, you're booking every month a reserve. You're, 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 uh, you're basically charging the income statement an amount every month and you're building this reserve such that if you have to write inventory off, you've already expensed, you know, you've expensed it over time. Um, But again, that's just the financial accounting exercise. I think from a operational standpoint, you know, it, it's the CFO, or the controller working with operations about to understand how can we basically 
have less of this inventory? How can we have a, a, a lean supply chain, you know, and buy what we need so we don't get into this obsolescence issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, part of the Dell strategy, it wasn't even so much a lean supply chain. I mean, they they would basically force suppliers to hold the finished goods. Yeah. At Dell, at their whim, at their convenience, could pull to order from the yeah. supplier. And then if Dell stopped ordering, I mean, at some point like that ends up impacting your suppliers. And it seems like some of that cost in different ways is going to come back uh, eventually. But, you know, Dell, you know, in my experience, there was very, in a lot of ways, very short term driven, make the quarterly number. Um, I, I, I don't like to characterize them as a quote unquote lean, meaning like a TPS mm-hmm. type company. It was almost just its own strategy that arguably was working well for its circumstances back at, at that time. And it's a very different company. Even 10 years later, it became a very different company yeah. with very different circumstances. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it, you, you, you mentioned something interesting about, you know, making the suppliers hold the inventory and, uh, you know, what's, what's really important is to have good relationships with your suppliers and um, you know how can how can how can you partner with them to both of you have a, 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 a you know a mutually beneficial relationship and not not beat up your suppliers? I always find it very interest. I just find it very interesting how you know I'm I'm the company and I'm beating up my suppliers, but then you know. What, you know, but would I do that to my customers? No, you know, <laughs> you want the good relationship with the customer, but it's, it's sort of like looking in the mirror. It's the same relationship. You're just playing, you're on different ends. I mean, there's, there's power dynamics. I mean, I'm thinking back yeah. to times at Dell, like the only two suppliers, I think that Dell did not have a lot of leverage over were Intel and Microsoft. Yeah, because of their market positions. Yeah, and at the time, Dell was only buying processors from Intel. Now, the only leverage Dell had was, oh, maybe we'll start buying from AMD. You know, that was about the only balancing force. But um, I remember some of the dynamics where basically Intel would say, "Here's what you're getting from us in terms of different chips, different processor speeds." Dell did not have the opportunity to pull the order based on actual demand. Intel was basically saying, here's what you're getting. Yeah. And Dell would probably say, okay, thank you. We'll figure out how to sell it. That was, but see, <laughs> but Dell had figured out, given those circumstances, a good strategy for the moment of how to mm-hmm. deal with that. Now with pricing, saying like, oh, I know you want a slower processor because it's cheaper, but we'll give you a deal on the one that's faster. You know, I mean, trying to make something win-win yeah. out of it, kind of an interesting situation. I don't know if they had a lean uh, CFO, but they had a str- they had a strategy, and it, it was kind of an integrated yeah. strategy. So, kind of coming back to the idea of a lean CFO, um, you know, chapter three in the book, you know, is about lean is the strategy. Like, how how often are you seeing companies with with that integrated view of of of, of lean not just being this little operations things that, thing that's delegated, but lean being the strategy? for the CEO, the CFO becoming more, more common? Um, 
I would say about 50-50 in, in the companies I work with. Um, That's higher than I might have guessed. So, Yeah. I, it's, but, but even, you know, even if people say it's the strategy, are they, you know, walking the talk, <laughs> you know, they might say it, but are they doing it? And, um, there's a lot of companies that are like that, but it's, you know, I'm just, I'm just going through some of the companies that I've worked with over the years in my head. And, um, it's easy to see the ones that really believe it's, you know, the corner. It might, they might not say it's their strategy, but they'll say it's a, it's almost like it's a cornerstone of their strategy. And, um, you know, they have, I, I noticed that those companies are very structured and disciplined in terms of, their lean system. You know, they have a senior leader or someone close to senior leader leadership who basically is like the global director of lean and, and they have very systematic ways of, of how they deploy various tools and practices rather than sort of like every person for themselves. And I mean, I think, you know, one, you know, when you're talking about being the strategy versus being a cornerstone, is this a program or is it a commitment? I mean, one, one CEO, you know, who's, who's made very public comments about this, including at the 2022 AME conference. I forget, were you there last year in Dallas? Oh, no, I didn't go. But um, Larry Culp, who's been um, CEO Mm -hmm. of GE now for five years, you know, was, was talking about how. I'm paraphrasing him, I think pretty closely, that um, he can't help it. Lean is the way he manages. And I think that's, you know, becoming more and more embedded. I mean, it seems to flow downhill. Mm-hmm. If that's the way he's managing. That's the way he he wants leaders under him to be managing. Like that, that seems to be one of, at least I, to me, one of the higher profile cases of a CEO. If he's not using the words, lean is the strategy. Lean is a core. Yeah. It's not something they're doing. It's more, well, I mean, it's more of how they, how they are, how they're acting and behaving. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And I think that's really the same for what a lean CFO is. You know, it's the way you are, you know, it's not like you uh, talk lean or, or, you know, use tools and practices at your convenience or when you think it's most beneficial, it's just the way you are. And, and uh, you know, that's one thing I learned in my first, you know, my first CFO job when we became, a when we really went on a lean transformation, you know, we as a management team, we were all on the same page with that. You know, we didn't argue about it. We understood what it was, what it meant to the company and where it could take us. And I think that's really the key. There's an aspect of lean. Now, if you have experience, 
with it, it's easy because it, it's, it's having, it's knowing what's possible. Right. Right. And I think that's, what's hard for people who are inexperienced with lean is they can't picture it. Mm-hmm. Right. They can't, you know, I mean, you know, the company I was at, you know, we, we, our sales would, we were solid. We had, pro, we were profitable. Um, sales grew five to 7% a year. And we were happy with that. It was a 75 year old company at the time. But then all of a sudden, you know, we have better on time delivery, shorter lead times, um, less inventory. Sales are growing at 20% a year. And, and profitability is beyond the expectations that we had, you know, three to five years before that. And it's, and this is the ability of a financial person to be able to model that in a very simple way. Here's what can happen. You don't have to get into a whole lot of detail, but you know, if sales go up 20% a year instead of 5% a year, if your costs stay at like 5% a year, what does that look like in five years financially? Right. That's what lean yeah. can do. Yeah. And you, you raise a point that really resonates with me about this, this knowing what's possible. Like when somebody's brand new to lean, I'm going to convert it into sort of more operational um, turnarounds or operational improvements, you know, including in healthcare. I, I can understand like a healthy skepticism of, yeah. of someone saying, well, I, I've, I haven't been through this before. And let's say, you know, early in my lean healthcare experience, a lot of that work was in hospital laboratories and, you know, you could go in with like a quick assessment and like pretty much guarantee, like we, we can, rearrange uh, some machines. We can improve the layout. We can improve some processes. We can reduce batching and we can reduce your turnaround time 70% and improve your productivity and quality is going to go up. And like people's eyes get wide because part of them says, yeah, I would love to have that improvement. Yeah. But then look, I mean, you know, we're all human. And then the part kicks in of like, Oh God, that's going to somehow make me look bad (laughs) that I didn't do that before. And like yeah. trying to kind of coach and manage people through not only um, trust us and we can show you or we can go visit and we can go talk to people like this. This is very doable. Mm-hmm. But then trying to coach people through, OK, um, easier said than done. Please don't feel bad that you didn't do it before. And hopefully their leaders are more happy mm-hmm. about, hey, OK, great. Um Let's celebrate the improvement instead of fretting over why we didn't yeah. do it before. I mean, have you run across kind of that similar, you know, human dynamic of the emotion? Oh, oh yeah. 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 I mean, it's that whole idea of why didn't you deal with this before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, first, it's a regret. A lot of times, though, it and what I always do is I always stress it's it's the process, not the people, you know. People are just put in and and they probably know what's wrong, you know, but they don't necessarily have the guidance on how to solve the problem. And that's what lean does is it gives you the guidance to solve the problems and make the improvements. Um, When you were talking about that, it, 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 it 
raised another point in my head about accountants, especially uh, if you get an accounting degree. One thing you learn in the accounting profession, and this is mainly based on, you know, getting your accounting degree and working for a CPA firm first or a career. There's something called healthy skepticism. You know, if you want to be a good auditor, you have to have that healthy skepticism. And then, so if you work in public accounting and then go into company, you usually maintain that healthy skepticism. So this is where it it sort of gets in the way of uh, understanding lean. And it's sort of like, oh, okay, yeah, I I get it, but I want to see it. I want to see the financial results. You know, then I'll believe it. (laughs) And and it takes time to see the financial results. Mm -hmm. To prove it. It's how people come around to believing, right? Some, Some small steps and some progress. Right. And especially if you're in like healthcare. I know it, you know, it, it, it that's a, a different financial model. And, you know, what are, you know, what are we getting out of it? You know, are you going to see your costs go down 20%? Well, probably not. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, you know, but you have better patient experience and, and, and that goes a long way. And this is where, Financial people sometimes will say, you know, okay, well, here's, you know, cost reduction, you know, you have to show me cost reduction with any improvement that you're doing. And, and then the, the people doing continuous improvement, they just, their, their heads explode over that. And and what I've seen, especially in healthcare, that doesn't engage any of the frontline staff, not in the least. When you can point them toward making your work easier, improving the patient experience, improving safety and quality, that'll engage people. Now, you might have to convince them, like they yeah. might have their skepticism of, well, you know, eh, these people have convinced themselves certain problems are unsolvable, which is one's coping mechanism of like, oh, these infections or these falls or it's sad, but boy, if it was solvable, we would have, we would have solved it already. Well, again, so there's the emotion of yeah, like kind of you know feeling bad about these things. Yeah, and it's the same way in in like any other I've noticed in any other service business. You know, it just we we we, and even like in the accounting function, you know, well, we just deal with these problems and we get good at dealing with the problems, but we don't really take a step back to figure out how to solve them. And uh, yeah, if I'm working specifically with an accounting team in terms of improving accounting processes, one of the things I don't really say, but stress in terms of the work, in terms of the improvements is, you know, this is going to eliminate some work for you and give you more time. And once you make it personal to them, then they start really thinking about it. Yeah. 
Um, one one of the thing that you one one of the things you went through in the webinar that you did back in January was kind of an illustration of a virtuous cycle, if you will, using continuous improvement to drive capacity, to increase capacity instead of reducing costs. And it seems like this would apply many ways in healthcare. Yes. As well. But, you know, maybe even just generally, or, or even, you know, if you want to talk through it in terms of manufacturing, can, can you kind of talk through that cycle a mm-hmm. little bit and uh, why, why that is kind of core, it seems to lean accounting? Yeah. So uh, capacity, we, you know, in lean accounting, we use the word capacity, but uh, what we're really talking about is time. And so, you know, the basic, if you, um, if you, through continuous improvement, if you eliminate any waste, because waste, wasteful activities consume time, you create capacity or time. And then it's a matter of what do you do with that time? And let's not uh, overproduce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not going to overproduce. And, but there, you know, there's lots of opportunities. And, and so, you know, in, in the webinar and other training and working with companies, time does not show up in the financial statements. It doesn't show up anywhere. And, and that's one of the measures that we talk about in lean accounting is to start measuring capacity and, and, and measuring how much time are you creating? Because, for example, if you're doing a continuous improvement event, reducing uh, change over time on a machine, you know, you're going to create more time, more availability of that machine. That's all you're doing. What are you going to do with that time? You're not going to reduce costs. But if you have demand and you can produce and sell more, you're going to generate revenue and contribution margin. And so it's it's really teaching people, lean accounting is teaching people about understanding capacity and not confusing capacity with costs. It's they're, they're two different animals. The only relationship, like labor, you know, you hire me for your company. I'm giving you 40 hours a week of capacity. What do you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to create value? You know, or or am I going to be spending time on on non-value added activities? And that's true whether it's whether you're in a manufacturing operation or in healthcare or in an office setting. You know, a friend of mine, when I was trying, he's not a lean person. And I was trying to explain capacity, and she basically said, "Oh, you just need to know what you're spending your time on. It's just that simple, and, and not confusing activity with value, right? Efforts and outcomes, yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I uh, was working with a company last week and, and I have dinner with the owner. He's, he started the company for almost 50 years ago. He's like, I think he's 81 years old. He's still active in the business and we're having dinner and he, he started talking about everybody talks about capacity. And then I explained it to him like similar to the way I just explained it here. And he was like, Oh, okay. I get it now. <laughs> it just, he goes, they got to stop doing this stuff. I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, we've been joined today by Nick Katko, uh, the books in uh, the second edition. Now the lean CFO architect of the lean management accounting system. Um, what, What's different in the second edition? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I when I was writing Practicing Lean Accounting with Mike DeLuca, I looked back on the first edition. And then I realized, number one, um, the way I teach and coach lean management accounting has changed since I wrote the book. So this is sort of like trying to do, it was, it started out, (laughs) easiest way is I thought this was going to be a short continuous improvement event. And I was going to add a few chapters. And then the more I looked at the book, I just decided basically to rewrite it. And um, I, I wrote it more for everybody rather than just manufacturing. I sort of the manufacturing piece, I created a few chapters at the end. And also the sort of the sequence, you know, what, you know, what, if you want to transform your management accounting system, what are the steps? And, and that's the way I structured it. And working with the publisher there, there's usually certain requirements of like what percentage of the book needs to be different. It sounds like you exceeded that. By good, <laughs> yes. good not, not starting from scratch or, I mean, it's like really heavily editing and reworking. Oh, there, there were some pieces, some things I kept and some things I just didn't keep. Um, yeah. My, it, it did not please my wife because we just finished practicing lean accounting. Yeah. And, and then I said, I'm going to do this, but I'm only going to write a couple chapters. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, I was like, no. And anyway, it was good. It was consuming a lot of uh, your own capacity. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, well, it's good if your wife is fighting for some of that capacity. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good, you know, a good thing. Mm-hmm. So celebrate, celebrate that. So yeah. um, we'll link to the book um, in the show notes. And, and one other thing I wanted to ask you to share with us, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Um, the new lean accounting certification program from BMA. Um, tell, tell us yeah. about that. Like, who do you think might be interested in that and, and what would they get out of that certification? Well, it, it, I, this is an idea that I had for many years, for many years, it was a matter of figuring out how to do it. Uh, and it, you know, it, it's more than just a one way like webinar, you know, because there's like, there's two certifications, lean management accounting and lean accounting process improvement. Each of those has 
five one-hour classes, basically. And it's sort of webinar style. But at the end of each class, you got to take a quiz. So it's a matter of not just listening, but it's a matter of recall. And uh, so it's a, it's a way to, a better way to prepare yourself or prepare a team of people for a transformation. And you can do it on your own. You know, it's, it's, it's somewhat self-paced. Um, and um, if you are a certified public accountant, you can also get continuing education credit for it. So you can get two things. And uh, it's, you know, it's something I've wanted to do. It's a, it's a way to engage people develop competency in the principles, practices, and tools and get you ready for a transformation. In fact, uh, two people who took it recently, uh, I met with them yesterday and they already have created a value stream income statement. Okay. And that's something you shared about in the webinar, I'll point out. Yeah. So they they took what they learned and they put together a value stream income statement. They wanted to run it by me, and uh, I gave them some ideas. But you know, it 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 gives you a way to get started. Hmm. Yeah, and it can be shared. You know, teams can do it. Doesn't have to be just individually. Yeah. Well, again, well, I hope uh, people will uh, check that out if they've. Listen to you know a good long discussion here about lean accounting. They have probably kind of qualified themselves that they probably have the interest or would would benefit from this. So I'll put a link okay. um, to that in the show notes, and again uh, a link to that webinar. Um, people can combine all of that: the, um, mm-hmm. the book, the certification, and then um, finally, as a final question. Uh, you know, who, who, who are the people in what situations that would reach out to you and BMA for kind of deeper coaching and support? Yeah. Uh, in smaller companies or like privately held companies, uh, many times it's the CEO or a lean leader. Sometimes it's the CFO or the controller. Uh, those are you know, in, in public companies, it's it's usually lean leaders, you know, because they and and. Um, but, you know, I've had all kinds of people reach out for <laughs> the years, uh, most of the time, you know, it's. No one's everybody I've talked to that is like non accounting, they never really say there's anything wrong with accounting. It's just, it's, it's more collective. Like we need, we know we have to do something, but we're not sure how to approach it. That's, that's really the key. But if you're a owner, a CEO, president, lean leader, uh, you know, obviously CFO and controller, you know, those are the people who really recognize the problems and issues. Yeah. So we'll define the problem together with you and you can talk about countermeasures and, and solutions. So uh, yeah. Well, yeah. 
Well, well, Nick, thank you for coming back uh, on the podcast again. Congratulations on uh, the release of uh, the new edition, the Lean CFO. I hope people will also check out Practicing Lean Accounting, and um, you can hear more uh, from Nick back in episode 428. Again, he was together here uh, with Mike DeLuca, the co-author of that book, Practicing Lean Accounting. So, so Nick, thank you. This has been helpful. You're kind of shaking the cobwebs out of uh, some of the some of the things I learned a long time ago, but clearly um, a lot more to learn. And, and thank you for sharing and kind of helping us learn here today. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Have a good time. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.